the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Uh, it is an awesome, awesome day. Some places are celebrating celebrating President's Day today. I don't know if that's everywhere, and uh, certainly it's... Um, I was always partial to Washington's birthday. I thought we should have stuck with that instead of making it uh, President's Day, even though I, of course, like Lincoln a lot. And, you know, but once your President's Day, I don't know, you know, you've got to pick your president that you like. I, I think it was uh, I think switching from Washington's birthday reminds me of uh, all the. Uh, tolerance movements that have culminated with the DEI stuff, you know, where everybody starts out with good intentions and ends up doing something that's uh, more destructive than helpful. And and they feel good about what they did, but they don't necessarily do enough good. So that's how I feel. And that's uh, Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So that's my opinion. But anyway, if you celebrate President's Day, I know a bunch of kids had off of school. They like that. Uh, some workers had off of work. They like that. And uh, myself, again, I in a few weeks, I got the email. Uh, from the man who is in charge of the Monroe uh, Foundation, the James Monroe Foundation. So in about, it's more like two months, uh, April, April 28th, maybe is Monroe's birthday. So in and around his birthday are a couple of commemorations, one down at Montpelier, his home, and the other down in Richmond at his uh, grave. And I was invited. I've, I'm invited every year. And so I get excited about that. I love that. I love celebrations of birthdays. Don't get me wrong. In fact, my son just had a birthday turned 15 a few days ago and we had a great time so uh birthdays are good i just don't know about president's day that seems a little a little silly to me but all right listen what you need to know today this is a very important one i don't have as much of the meat to deliver to you but i want to do the sizzle around it okay so there is a man named mike benz b-e-n-z and mike benz if you go to his x of x feed it's mike benz cyber so at mike benz cyber and he runs an organization and so well the first let me tell you the backstory about a year and a half ago i had i think i had heard of mike benz maybe i'd heard him seen him on uh, on x uh but i was I, I can't remember for sure but i got a call from a friend of mine who i trust very much uh, i won't tell you his name cuz it doesn't matter uh, for the story but i trust him he's an old friend he's very smart he's very interesting uh thoughtful guy and he said hey you need to uh connect with mike benz and I said, really? Okay. If you tell me so, okay. And he gave me his number. And Mike Benz at that point was moving. 
And I forget now if he was moving from California or Florida, uh, but I think he was moving to Texas. I might be getting it backwards. Maybe he's moving to Florida. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I, I all I know is that he was in his car uh, moving from house to house uh, a long, a long drive. And we had a great conversation and we connected. And since then, a mile 18 months ago, uh, we send each other stuff to read. I watch him closely on uh, social media. Mike Benz cyber. Um, he does these short videos. He's done about. I would think he's done about 10 of them. Um, and they're very, very good. They're, 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 some of them are six minutes and some of them are 20 minutes, but none of them are an hour. Um, and they're just, uh, maybe one of them is an hour. He did one that was more sort of a, a researched, um, one with some, with like a slide deck, but, uh, they're very, very good about understanding the censorship industry and understanding who's doing what in the censorship, censure, censor, ship industry uh just very very interesting work and so at one point he was coming i think to, to dc and i said hey if you're in town come by my office if you want a place to work out of uh i've got uh i've got internet uh wi-fi i think i joked and said i got wi-fi because he's a big cyber guy but uh but we didn't connect so i don't think i've ever met him in person but i've watched him well mike benz last week did a one hour and four minute i think that's the number interview a little bit over an hour with Tucker Carlson and Tucker Carlson. If you watch the interview, Tucker is clearly blown away. He says it a couple times, but you can see it on his face. And even more telling for Tucker is Tucker usually doesn't tolerate a guest speaking for too long. Now, in the longer form interviews that Tucker does, he does have guests to speak for a while. And, you know, he'll have somebody, you know, want, want on about something and Tucker will let it go because it's a nicer format. But in general, Tucker still is a guy that does a radio, uh, a TV show like his uh, old show where he lets somebody talk and and and, and then he interrupt them, interrupts them and says, hey, you know, what about this or what about that? And if you watch Tucker's interviews, Many, many of them, you can close your eyes and think about them as like the interview would be 35 minutes and actually think of them as as if they are five, uh, seven minute segments because Tucker will take up a topic. He'll talk about it. He'll interrupt. He'll ask another question. He'll follow on. Well, with Mike Benz, Tucker just sat there and Mike Benz spoke for almost the entire time. Maybe Tucker asked six questions, eight questions. Maybe the questions were a total of five minutes. Could be a little bit more, but the the brunt of this was Mike Benz speaking. So now, what's the you know payoff here? What he explained was how the American system of promoting its interests overseas that had been so effective for eighty years, how that system, which included nonprofits that were set up in a place, and that the the control of the government in a place, influence of the government, direct influence, uh, influence on the economies, and especially influence over the media. So he's talking about this and he's referring to often it's called the color revolutions where American operatives and American uh, uh, interests go into a place and they they help to uh, establish or help to influence who ends up in the government. And they call it color, color revolution. And there's lots of examples. But what Mike Benz does, two things he does that are extraordinary is in describing all of this in detail and describing the connections between them. He gets us to 2016 and he says two things happened in 2016. Number one, they turned the forces that they had uh, 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 developed 
on the American people. So last week, you might have seen Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi had a story with one other author. I'm sorry, I forget his name. And the story was about how it looks like the uh, uh, John Brennan and others in the Obama administration asked our foreign nations to begin investigations on Americans so the CIA could then turn around and say, oh, they already have this intelligence. We've got to look at it. In other words, it was a bait and switch done intentionally. What Mike Ben says is, look, all the stuff we did abroad we turned and did to the American people, the American government, the American government, uh, the American uh, uh, citizenry, the American nation, the American system of government. And here's the second point that's so important. The Internet is what was now the tool for the media control. So if in the old days, 1960, 1955, we were using Voice of America and we were broadcasting into the Soviet Union and we were telling uh, uh, the people there about freedom and we were influencing, you know, behind the Iron Curtain or going in places, we had to control the radio, the TV and the print. And that was manageable. The Internet became much less manageable. But what happened, and Mike Benz describes it in great detail, in the run-up to the 2020 election and to COVID, was that the people who developed these systems, these operating systems to influence how people live in foreign nations, turned it on the American people. And now they had focused on what had been previously sort of uncontrollable to them. They couldn't figure out what to do with the Internet. And so in this case, in the, in, the, in the 20 teens, they turned all those resources on the social media and the tech giants and all the online presence. And they, they created this disinformation movement and used the, the language of government and the, and the color revolutions to claim the need to stop threats to democracy, to stop disinformation that was against the public good. So the threats to democracy were if you were against mail-in ballots. And that was what they needed because they were going to use mail-in ballots as a big part of how they figure out how to put Biden in. And if you were against vaccines, they were going to call that disinformation in large part because the, the, the control that was granted to allow them to do mail-in ballots. And also probably, again, there's partners in this, for-profit companies that are partners like pharma. Okay, so I'm not explaining it too well, although I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job. I have to say I, I thought about this a lot. But here's the message. Go and watch Mike Benz on Tucker Carlson. I think it's still free. If you go to X, uh, the X platform, either go to Tucker's uh, Tucker Carlson at Tucker Carlson, his his X uh, uh, handle, or go to as I said, Mike Benz Cyber. Mike M I K E Benz B E N Z Cyber C Y B E R, and watch this one hour description. It's kind of a his history of what's happened. And a description of what went on in our immediate past and where we are now. And his, I, I, I'm sorry that I can't remember. Uh, it's not in front of me in my notes and I'm off, I'm off uh, site as I record this. So I, I don't have it. But his website, uh, you can go to his organization, which is basically him and now uh, some other researchers that study uh, cyber and make sure and tell you exactly what's happening with all this stuff. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. What you need to know is Mike Benz. Mike Benz will tell you what you need to know. So go, please, and watch that one hour and a few minutes uh, uh, interview, and you will be enlightened. Very important. All right, that's what you need to know. I'm Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we've got the chance to catch up with our friend Todd Benzman. Todd Benzman is all over the country right now. I think he's out west somewhere. Um, he's been all over the world. Uh, his coverage in Poland got a lot of attention and, and of course, down on the border. Todd Benzman is the Senior National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. He's great there. You can find his site and his writings. There's also lots of other people at the Center for Immigration Studies that do great work. Uh, it's a really an important organization that's uh, as sort of a, at this moment maybe more valuable than ever, although they've been going for years. Uh, so welcome back, Todd. And first of all, uh, I, I, before we go on to what, where we are today, it looks like the the uh, the border deal uh, that got so much attention is pretty is pretty much dead. I mean, I think everybody said it's over. But uh, two things about that: one, um, what was it really that got it killed off ultimately? What was it that caught the attention uh, or got the attention of the public or the lawmakers uh, enough to stop it? And then, what are your thoughts that the Republican Party would? Put that up. You know, a bunch of the senators would say this is good enough. So uh, welcome back. And a few thoughts on that. Sure. Well, first of all, uh, Republicans in the House who are border hawks, who follow the border and have been doing the impeachment. And there are, there's a lot of knowledge about the border and what causes this and how to stop it. There's actually a lot of institutional knowledge because of the impeachment investigation, et cetera. And those lawmakers understood from the get-go that what was being proposed over there was a ruse, that none of it actually uh, would have stopped the border crisis. It would have incentivized more of it and codified it and made it harder for our future Republican president to put a stop to it because there'd be this legislation. And also they understood that the president already has the authority to put an immediate stop to this, to deport 100% of everybody crossing that border with no chance at asylum, which would immediately halt the border crisis in about two hours. So they just told Donald Trump about about it and Trump came out strongly against it and once Trump came out strongly against it the others had to kind of fall in line on it that's what killed oh, it that's interesting and to, to pause for a second Todd uh, the, the 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 you know the sort of what really happened here was that enough of the House members actually knew for a change what was going on and weren't snowed by, hey, you want the Ukrainian money or something else. Uh, but really, I mean, you're, you're very clear on the on the timing and the cause and effect. It was Trump saying this is a bad deal that was enough to knock it back. I mean, I guess I, guess I, got, I watched the uh, media say Trump did X. And I just don't believe them ever. Uh, but that's that's an interesting and important because uh, from my standpoint, Trump has the best positions on this. Uh, one quick thing on when you say that border bill would have codified it. L- let me see if I simplify it too much when I say the following. Uh, ultimately, it was going to allow people coming in. In fact, it was going to require that they be allowed to come in in some number. Uh, and no one was going to uh, there was thrown around uh, un- under that system. And uh, the only stop of the stoppage of that was possibly down the line. Right. Right. They, they, they were going to codify that it was 
that it was okay to let 35,000 a week into the country, 5,000 a day. And then if, you know, the president thought uh, that that was too much or that we were being swamped, he would quote unquote, close the border then. But there was never any uh, language in the bill that described exactly what it was that he was going to have to do to close it, to close the right. border uh, or when. And so it was left open, just like it is now, for the president yeah. to just simply blow it all off and say, yeah, you know, we can take 5000 uh, All this money for extra personnel down there has given us the ability to take 8000 a day. So we're fine, right. you know, right. that sort of thing. And then... It would have codified it that 5,000 days, yeah, that's okay. But over 1,000, former CHS secretary said, was an overwhelming crisis. Uh, let me let me pick up there. Actually, uh, we're talking with Todd Benzman, and and uh, if you go to um, uh, his website, toddbenzman.com, uh, you can see his books, uh, both his books. Uh, the first one about a few years ago about uh, national security in the border, but the most recent one is called Overrun uh, from Post Hill Press. I think it's Post Hill. It might be Bombardier, which is a, a division of Post Hill. But uh, and uh, and that book, Overrun, is about the Biden administration's. Dis- decisions immediately after getting into power and how their policies have put us here uh, very prescient uh, and, and came out uh, late last year or uh, maybe September. But um, Todd, uh, the um, Mayorkas, I, I was for the impeachment because you at least have to say that you're doing things to be accountable and then do them. And so they, in this case, OK, he's impeached. Um, everybody agrees, I think, that the Senate is not going to move on it. It's not going to go anywhere. But it made a difference. Um who are the heroes in the House? Who are the actual? The, the, I, I like to say their names. The House members who stood up and and on the border bill as well as on this were out there, uh, clear uh, from you know uh, figuring it out. And who are those heroes? Well, I mean, it was, a lot of this was spearheaded by House Homeland Security Committee, Mark Green. Okay, uh, he he. Yeah, he really pushed this thing through. And then you had members of the uh, Freedom Caucus uh, who were, you know, pushing from behind it, from behind him. They did a bang-up job. The, the committee did a bang and especially the staff did a, a, a great public service. Creating investigative reports. A series of investigative reports that are on the House Homeland Security Committee's website that that I would urge everybody to go read. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of this was done by staff. But remember that this thing was just barely passed. I mean, by the right. hair of your chinny-chin-chin chin, did this thing even go through. Yeah, we're get, we're, we got a little bit of a. Well, you're cutting out a little. Well, you're cutting out a little bit, Todd. I know you're uh, out on the roads, so you're cutting out a little bit. Uh, I got the last of it. Um, but um, uh, let's see if you come back a bit. Uh, let me ask you about where the issue is in terms of the uh, that the Biden administration has at least changed its messaging, trying to blame Trump for this border deal going down and trying to sound a little bit more. Uh, they sound 
more opposed to the immigration crisis. They're not doing anything. We've we've known that for a year. We listened to Todd Benzman from the border a couple times where he's saying, look, people may be saying there's a crisis. Nothing's changing. The Biden administration is not changing. In fact, they're opening it wider. Um, But the Democrats, I think, know it's a problem in terms of uh, politics. And, you know, you've been at this a long, long time, years and years. Is the public really is this the height of the public's paying attention to this? All of the polling is showing, and it consistently for the last six months, showing that the border crisis is a top-ranking apex issue for the 2024 national election. It is. Uh, The Biden administration knows this full well. There is a, a complexity to the border crisis that I believe the Biden administration is taking full advantage of, where people just don't understand how it all works or what really is happening down there, which is why I wrote the book. Right. Uh, because people, if they don't, then they're, they're more prone to accepting Democrat campaign arguments about it, like it's yeah. Trump's fault. Uh, anybody who understands anything about this and just trace it directly to inauguration hour plus one, 2021. Right. It literally started within one hour. Okay, well, uh, Todd, let's stop right there. Well, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and keep going with you. Uh, it's, it's such an important topic and so much information. That's Todd Benzman we're talking to, again, National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's at Benzman Todd on X, and his website is toddbensman.com. Uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We're, we're completing our interview with uh, Todd Benzman. Extraordinary. He's um, just back from the from Mexico where he did some interviews. Uh, let, and let's keep going. There's one other thing that I think even a lot of Republicans either don't want to admit to or and nobody really knows that this is happening, that the Biden campaign is so fearful and fretful about this as a campaign issue that Biden himself went down to Mexico City just before Christmas, and he sent Mayorkas and Lincoln down just after Christmas to meet with Mexican President Manuel Lopez Obrador to have them crack down on the immigration through their territory, and they have. They've done, they've absolutely gone medieval on illegal immigration in Mexico to the extent that I've never seen before. And the Mexicans have successfully dropped our border crossings from 12,000, 14,000 a day to 4,000 and 5,000 a day. Uh, And it's supposed to be an operation that will last through November, through the November elections, so that 
it, it drops the numbers to a threshold where the media loses interest and they go away. And that's what's happened down there. I just returned from Mexico. I interviewed a whole bunch of Mexican army soldiers and uh, Mexican um, immigrants, Mexican immigrants in Mexico, uh, NGOs, and everybody's talking about the, these, these really aggressive Mexican operations, their roundups, tens of thousands roundups not getting covered in the U.S. media at all, except by me. Uh, and they're shipping them 1,500 miles to the southern part of the country by airplane and by bus, and it's forced. These are roundups, forced roundups, uh, all along the uh, Mexico's northern especially in Texas. Uh, 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 Todd Bensman is our guest and uh, at uh, Bensman Todd on X uh, and ToddBensman.com is his website. The book was overrun. Todd, you mentioned that um, this draconian uh, cut uh, um, um, focus of the Mexican government to, to slow things. You you I, you cut out actually when you said the actual. You said when, you cut it down from twelve to thirteen thousand a day down to X, and then you cut out. I don't know, but my question is. Where are X coming from if the if the Mexicans are cutting down are, are cracking down on it? Those those are yeah it, it, it it's dropped from thirteen fourteen thousand a day to four thousand a day, okay. five thousand a day. I mean they've cut this by eighty percent. Most of the ones that you see coming and they're extra continent Iran, Afghanistan, uh, from from extra extra continental uh, nations, special interest nations, uh, coming through from China, uh, in California and Arizona. Texas is almost shut down. There's still there's just a trickle coming through Texas because of what Biden is having the Mexicans do. Uh, for his political campaign. Remember, when it's 10,000 a day, you've got international media down there. When it's 5,000 a day, they go away. And right. that is the the goal of Biden's Mexico campaign. You won't read about this really very many places. The New York Times has acknowledged it. Uh, but nobody's really down there tying it to these diplomatic trips that happened at the end of December and early January, and they're still happening now. The Mexican uh, foreign minister, you know, and, and, and all of his people are coming to D.C., and it's a lot of back and forth uh, for for the Mexican operation, and it looks but, like but, 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 that but operation me, but, is, yeah. Let me let me clarify, though, again, we're talking Todd Benzman. Um, if, if the Mexican government can round up 10,000, uh, what, Latin American illegals and say you're not supposed to be here and ship them south. Are they are they are they at the same time they end up with three or four thousand, five thousand uh, extra continental people that arrive and they're allowed to keep going? Why would they be allowed to keep going? I mean, is there what's the corruption factor here? Is it is I don't understand it. I don't understand that part either, if I'm being honest. Okay. I think 
that the Mexicans, I, I suspect, and I, I don't have this, I, I, I plan to go down there and find out. But, okay. But right now, it appears as though if you're an extracontinental from certain countries where you the Mexicans can't readily deport them, and they're oh. going to stack up, they're coming through the, the Darien Gap, uh, the Mexicans are still letting them through. They'll, I see. They'll let them through on certain road. This this is all about uh, road checkpoints. Uh, there's a there there are uh, block, roadblocks all over Mexico now, where they filter them. They can filter them out by nationality if they want. So if you're, they're Chinese and they're coming in on the bus, it's like oh they're Chinese. They can stay on the bus and keep going. That's what I think is going on. And then of course nothing changed in our policy. Everybody who reaches our border is immediately let into the country to stay permanently. So the pull factor is still there, but the Mexicans have knocked out the freight trains, which yeah. is key to all of those numbers. Now the Mexicans are occupying the rail yards and not letting anybody on those trains. And those who sneak onto the train somewhere else are getting rousted off of them before they can bring... Those trains are all empty. They're all showing up empty now at the northern border compared to December and November. And this Um, is all uh, planned. You know, this is all part of uh, a Biden administration plan to get that media uh, attention somewhere else. Is is uh, Todd Todd Benzman is our guest. One last question is when you say the Mexican government does that, is is the Mexican government in control or is it the cartels? In other words, is it in the cartels interest? They they, they don't want to let the if they can't have the full freight of this thing. Maybe I don't know. I'm just I'm totally guessing that they're not going to want to stop. But your 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 explanation that your guess, your your, um, your thoughts on the explanation are probably better that, you know, deporting someone to China is a pain, whereas deporting someone to Honduras, you know, takes a, only just a flight. So it's probably that. But it is. Uh, but anyway, are, are the cartels really in charge? They are right. Well, the cartels know when to retreat. They do strategic uh, retreats. This thing is such a big diplomatic deal. I mean, this is president on president kind of a thing. Right. Uh, there are there are good reports, credible Mexican media reports, that the Mexican Navy is actually up on our northern border. I didn't meet any, any of them. I was looking for them. Uh, and that's always a telltale sign because... The Mexican Navy is regarded as the least corrupted institution in Mexico, probably because they're off, you know, they're on ships and, and stuff out, you know, out to sea. Yeah. But, but um, when when the when the Mexican government really really wants to enact change, they can overcome the cartels for periods of time. I see, uh, and they do. And the cartels will strategically withdraw and go, wait, this is something really different and big. Uh, these are because it's it's the Mexican army up there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's regular army. It's not even the National Guard. It's the yeah. army. And they're permanent. Huh. They're, they've got these big uh, mobile uh, barracks that have been wheeled in uh, that, you know, fit 20 at a time. And they've got Humvees and they're doing roundups. And they're footing the bill to put them on planes. 
Huh. So wow. The cartels will the, the cartels will benefit eventually from this because right. uh, this up their prices for the ones that have right. money down there. <laughs> All right. Bring them in. Right. All right. All right. Todd Benzman, thank you as always. Uh, always a pleasure. Todd Benzman, uh, he is a National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. He is the expert on this stuff, and it's so important. So uh, thank you, Todd. Be safe, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. All right. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. We've got a whole lot more, uh, so stay tuned. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. Across the Western world, many citizens are rising up against globalism. Even many Canadians are finally fed up with globalism. The largest Ukrainian population outside of Russia is in Canada, where nearly 5% of its population, or 1.4 million people, are Ukrainian. The Conservative Party of Canada unanimously voted against a trade agreement with Ukraine in a humiliation of Canada's far-left Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who had signed the deal in expectation of full support. Instead of explaining why he thinks globalism is good for Canada, Trudeau lashed out at Donald Trump. In the United States Senate, where the pro-globalist senators of both parties control the agenda, a vote on sending many billions more to Ukraine is expected soon. New House Speaker Mike Johnson and other conservatives in the House deserve credit for not including this in their recent continuing resolution to fund our government. This leaves Democrats in a quandary as the presidential election heats up. President Biden is closely associated in voters' minds with an open southern border that has let in 10 million illegal aliens during his presidency. Democrats are suddenly hinting that they might agree to modest measures to close our open southern border. But that's just pre-election talk by Biden's team as they see the handwriting on the wall for voters to turn against him for allowing so many illegals into our nation. Any tightening of our southern border in 2024 will just be reopened again if Biden or any Democrat were to win the next presidential election. It's not enough for Democrats to talk about closing a bit of the southern border, but instead need to take action to undo the massive amount of damage they have already caused by their open border policies. Texas Governor Greg Abbott recently endorsed Donald Trump for president, belatedly, as Trump visited the rampage by illegals over the Texas-Mexico border. Trump now has strong allies in Argentina, Italy, Greece, Hungary, and elsewhere, as his admirers have swept to victory on an anti-globalist platform that limits mass migration. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. American citizenship should never be taken lightly. That's why you need to go to phyllisschlafly.com and be part of the dialogue on the need for border security and an accurate census, the travesty of sanctuary cities, and voting rights for illegals. Voice your opinion at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. By the way, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily uh, email, excuse me, sign up there for my uh, Substack. I write lengthier. In fact, I'm going to post uh, a little bit later tonight. So uh, you can sign up there. But also, I know this is two-step. You got to go over to uh, com and sign up there. Make sure you're signed up for the daily email, the daily wink. You will get everything you need to know, what you need to know uh, in an email, 8 o'clock East Coast time each morning uh, and uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, please check it out. All right. Uh, earlier on the Wink, uh, the radio segment portion of the Wink, which is my first segment here, I, I did speak about uh, how President's Day, I don't really I don't really get it. You know, President's Day. I mean, I just like I, I think we I just like I like George Washington. I think we should celebrate George Washington's birthday. I think we should probably cel- celebrate George Washington's birthday on his birthday, not on uh, a Monday after a weekend. So many things get corrupted by the need to make it easy for school to have a three-day weekend or work. I don't know. Anyway, but it's not even George Washington's birthday anymore. It's uh, it's President's Day. So, But here's what I want to do. I want to raise a toast and highlight George Washington and the importance of studying his life. Now, first, I want to encourage you to study lives of successful people. Now, I know this sounds predictable, but there's a lot of really smart literature, uh, research, anecdotal evidence about the fact that if you study successful people, it has a benefit on you directly. You may not even know it. One time years ago, a friend of mine asked me to join this kind of a club that you got a certain number of books. It was a, it was kind of a self-help initiative is the best way I can talk about it, but it focused a lot on reading. At reading, and there was lots of great books, great books, and, and really good books on organizational stuff and on understanding how things operate and all kinds of things. And some of them were biographies. But after that time, and I did get a couple of books out of there that I've never, uh, I've never stopped reading and rereading. So I should say, and they're not the biographies. But after that reading, a very intensive program, I ended up then going on a a spree of reading biographies. And to this day, I just love if I hear somebody interesting that's historic or something that there's a biography of, I will. Go and I'll, I go to the library. I go online to my local library and I order a copy to be delivered. The way my uh, a county library works is they deliver it to the local library near me and I go pick it up. And I don't buy the books because I don't know if I'll enjoy it. I don't know if I want that. I just want to read about people that I hear about that are successful. And so the other thing I want to tell you is when books became popular, when books became popular, which is, you know, around the six in the 1600s, they started to get really popular. The printing press became uh, the Gutenberg printing press. And then the others that quickly developed was in the 1500s. But in the 1600s, as books became more popular and they existed in places, you could go to the library and see them. You know, you go to the church and see them. There's copies of the scripture, more copies of the scripture available, copies of meditations on faith and religion. All these things became more popular. One of the popular types of books in that period, mostly late 1600s, I think is when the most popular version was Lives of Saints, the Lives of Saints, people describing the lives of, of, of famously holy people. And the Lives of Saints, Butler, Butler's Lives of Saints was the most common. I think Butler was a, a priest in England. Uh, he wrote the Butler's Lives of Saints was wildly popular, really big seller. Because you open up Butler's Lives of Saints, there's hundreds and hundreds of saints, and they have short biographies. And you can read about, oh, so-and-so, you know, did, did this, this, and this, and came from this background, that background, ended up being a saint, either holy in some specific way, sometimes they were uh, famous, sometimes they weren't. And it was very cool. My point is, 
the, the lives are what works. You can read a lot about principles. You can read a lot about facts and uh, the details and theories, all kinds of things around the One thing that's powerful is read about Einstein. You read all about, you have to read, if you, if you care about that science, you got to read all about uh, the science. But if you read about the person, you learn an awful lot. And you learn about how they got there, how they succeeded. Einstein took a lot of naps, by the way. He was famously a workaholic, but he took a lot of naps, which I love the idea of. I mean, he said he was famous. He would take, uh, famous. his wife would tell stories. I think he would lie down on the couch and just take like a 30-minute nap. Boom. And he'd be out. Like, out in the, and it, he was kind of a wild character because he was so smart and so successful. He would sometimes like just take a nap in front of people. Like they, oh, I'll pull the, he'd roll over on the, cou- on the couch if there was room and, and lay down and take a nap. Anyway, my point is that's a silly example. But more importantly, when you read about Washington, for example, you read re- you read about many aspects, including this one, which is, you know, it's important because he became such an iconic figure, but he failed over and over again as the general of the American army. He had defeat after defeat. He made a number of what historically looking back look like blunders. They will say, oh, that was a historical error. I, I'm not quite as confident to say that, but you know, historians will say that. He made this error, you know, and military historians and military strategists will say, yeah, he made this error. But over and over again, he was a writer of letters. Um, He wrote to Martha, his wife, a lot, but he wrote other letters. He was a writer. He kept some uh, journals. So we know that about his thinking, but he just kept after it. And you learn. And Washington's life was long and extraordinary. Now, he was a very wealthy guy, so he also had the ability to do things that nobody else could do at that time. But that doesn't mean you not everybody would ha- would do that. He was just an extraordinary guy. He gave up relinquished power when he could have stayed in power. You know, famously, instead of staying as president, he didn't want a king. One thing I love to read about in one of his biographies is he was an early investor in uh, in the um canals uh that you know needed you needed canals next to the rivers because you needed the water to transport things and so he was an investor and he picked poorly he had bad he had bad investment ideas but he knew that the canals were important he could see that it had to happen it had to be a project that people had to do he believed in it for the the, uh, developing economy anyway george washington on his birthday celebrate his birthday uh and uh, celebrate his life and study the lives of successful people to learn things they did and the ways they failed, the ways they succeeded. Many of them were, you know, terribly unhelpful and unhealthy people uh, uh, emotionally and with their families. You can learn from it. It's wonderful. So anyway, George Washington was an extraordinary man, extraordinary man, a gift uh, providential that he was uh, around at that time uh, to lead this nation and the founding. So there you have it. Happy uh, George Washington's birthday. And we've got to go. Thank you, as always, to Mason Mohan and to uh, Ryan Height, our producers. Back tomorrow. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.